0: Welcome to the Mum Break Podcast, a place where you can feel normal, get helpful information, and laugh your ass off, hopefully without peeing your pants. I'm your host, Erica, and I have two kiddos. I am not a mom expert, but I do have a zillion hours of therapy under my belt and no filter. I'm on my own journey to find happiness, and I want to help you on the way to yours. Okay guys, I have an insanely exciting news before I jump into this episode. If you haven't been following me on Instagram, then you might not know, but basically my biggest COVID celebration from the past, what feels like 18 years, is that I got a new phone number so I can text you guys. I know it sounds crazy and a lot of you don't understand it yet, and I think that's because it's just such a new concept, but here's my rationale. A lot of people are very much taking a social media cleanse. You are limiting what you're taking in because of maybe your mental health or because of the just fire hose of news information that's coming at you. And we still want to be able to keep in touch, but without having to access social media. So I thought this would be the perfect time to crack into a new cell phone number where I can text you guys. Now, I'm, I'll put the number in the description below, but if you happen to have your phone on me on you right now, you can just send me a quick message uh, to, it's 1-310-256-2867, and you'll get a couple automated messages at the beginning that just allow you to message me, but then after that, uh, we can just text away. <sighs> I'm so excited. I'll also then every day at 12 Eastern time, send a group message to all my text friends to mom life stuff recipes, drink recipes, crazy things behind the scenes that my kids did in the day. Really honestly, I just wanted to take the really great conversations I'm having on Instagram and social media and with you guys in emails and move those over to a place where we can do it in a way that's a little bit more personal and one-on-one and you can reach me anytime. So go ahead, text me. I'll put the number in the description below. Seriously, this has been amazing. A couple hundred of you have already messaged me and it's been great. We've been having conversations all day. I swear it's not weird. (laughs) Try it out. Um, Okay. The next guest is Jen. She is a registered ECE and we're going to be talking all about risky play. So we are going to just jump right into things. So your toddler just hides all your stuff from you. (laughs)
1: Exactly. Well, he'll go and find little things. He'll go through my wallet. And then you're sitting there going like, okay, I need my credit card. Where is my credit card? <laughs> and it is, it is fun. And thankfully, my, uh, my older child likes to, um, for lack of a better word, kind of tattle on him. So yes. thankfully, she knows where half my stuff is most of the time.
0: Oh my God. That's amazing. You have someone on your side. Okay. So can you remind me how old are your kids?
1: So I have three kids. My oldest is Evelyn. She is six years old. So she's in grade one. Um, My middle child is my son. His name is Nathan and he'll be three in July. So he's two and a bit. Um, And then my newest who I'm actually on mat leave with is five months and her name is Robin. So, I have uh, two girls and a boy, all in different stages of life, all in different um, interests and development. So, it is a busy, busy household for sure.
0: Okay. So, this is one of the things other than um, like risky play that I wanted to talk to you about because one of the things that I'm really struggling with is trying to entertain both my kids at different developmental stages that they don't enjoy doing the same thing at all and the fact that they're a boy and a girl and have very much both fallen within the gender sort of stereotypes Aubrey's like princesses and dolls and Austin's like all the trucks only cars my older two are
1: the exact same way yeah my older two are the same way my daughter um She loves arts and crafts and her Barbies and everything. My son's actually gotten into her Barbies, which is one thing that I do love to do together. Um, But he's very much dinos and diggers and balls. And what's something I can build so I can knock it down and everything crashes all over the place. (laughs) Um, Amazing. I love that. 100%. Oh, 100%. And like when they're even playing outside, you know, they're even their imaginary play is she wants to be a princess or a fairy or um, a witch so she can cast spells and stuff. And all he thinks of are there's a monster in the corner. So <laughs> it's, it's even very different for those types of play as well. Um, I, I'm really lucky because my daughter, being as old as she is, she always been a very um, motherly six-year-old she's always wanted to help with him since he was a baby and do things for him which is a whole other story um (laughs) but she wants to um have him engaged in her play which can sometimes lead to fights because obviously he also wants to do his own thing um but it's it was pretty much just watching the two of them play together or even just play separately and kind of see what their interests are and see if you can kind of bring them together or not. Um, they're both very into Frozen. I think every child in the world is into Frozen yeah. right now. What
0: I don't understand how it's so – it's the one of the only movies that both of my kids will sit down and be like, okay, we'll both watch this, which is rare because Austin is not a TV kid as much as I'd like him to be. He's just like, okay, cool, five minutes, I'm done, I'm bored. But they'll sit and watch all of Frozen. Why? I don't get it.
1: Yeah, so we're um, we're lucky we have certain frozen toys at home. We don't have very many, but like we have an Elsa doll, and my daughter for her birthday got a set of all the figurines, and I was able to set up uh, like an invitation for them that had uh, I took out all the blue and white Lego blocks or like Mega blocks and the little figurines and blue and white pom poms and kind of made it into. An activity they can both be interested in because there was the imaginary play that my daughter would like but then my son was able to try to um, build a castle or a wall or something and they're able to come together even if it was more um, what we call parallel play where they play beside each other versus necessarily playing together a lot of the times it will slowly grow into that type of play but um, it needs to be natural which is also hard when all you want them to do is entertain each other so you have five minutes to yourself.
0: (laughs) Yes, that's the dream one day maybe. Not so likely, but maybe.
1: Well, whenever they're old enough that you can stick them in the yard and trust that they're uh, not killing each other, then you're good.
0: (laughs) Actually, we're very close to that this year, especially with our backyard. We have it so that our kitchen is set up overlooking our backyard and there's almost no like, um, blacks, not black spots, but dark spots, spots. there's no spots where they couldn't be. You can almost see the entire backyard. So I am so excited, but it's been a freakishly cold April for some reason.
1: And of course they still want to go outside all bundled up and you're like, but I don't want to. I can't (laughs) use
0: snowsuits suits right now.
1: No, I can't. And of course they're not going to leave their hats or gloves on because they're like, no, it's sunny out. There's no snow. Why would I need these things?
0: Yeah, no, so annoying. Okay. I want to talk to people a little bit about why you're here and who you are, because you messaged me on Instagram the other day with a really interesting term I had never heard of before. And I thought it'd be really cool to talk about. And that's risky play. So who are you? What do you do? Maybe just give people a quick introduction on you.
1: For sure. So um, my name is Jen Cleland, and I am a registered early childhood educator, which um, basically means that I, uh, my job is to um, observe, assess, and um, help children with their development. Um, so I'm currently on that leave, but I am normally in an infant room at a not-for-profit uh, organization within Ottawa um i have worked with ages from infant toddler preschool school age so um, i've been in ece for about six years now so i have uh, a fair bit of experience in all the different age groups and um i'm currently on mat leave at home in our little house in russell so we live just on the outskirts of ottawa which we love um we're nice still nice and close to everything but we're able to have our little space as well um, So I'm home with my three kids who are six, two and five months. Um, So yeah. Busy. And that sounds so busy. It is. But during a time like this, when we're stuck at home, at least we are nice and uh, entertained. I couldn't imagine being home like by myself. So my husband
0: and I had this debate this morning and I sort of said, in terms of the different ages of having, like parents being stuck at home, I personally, not having experienced any older age than four, I feel like having kids who are toddlers and like busy young children is the hardest age as a parent to have at home. Again, I say that not knowing what any future stage is, but at least you can just sort of like stick a kid in a basement or a backyard or a bedroom. Um, And then we went down the debate of, my husband was saying it would actually be harder to be home alone because it would be so lonely. And I can see that be, well, I actually would probably still prefer that. I can see that being a real struggle. It's funny. We just had that conversation this morning.
1: Well, it's true. It's like, you see all the posts about, you know, think about your, your, friends who have children at home because they can't go for a run whenever they want. They can't just watch whatever TV they want during the day if it's not on Disney Plus, things like that. But then at the same time, my day is so full of so many activities that I feel like if I didn't have my children, the day would last like 50 hours. And when you're sure. stuck at home day after day after day, that that can feel like a lifetime and at least having something to do, and those children like, I love playing board games and I can do that with my kids. Um, they can do baking and all this stuff with me, which I feel like I wouldn't do these things if I was by myself or it was just my husband and I. Like, he's still working. Like, we're really lucky he can work from home, but I would be literally by myself till five o'clock every day and I would just become a potato. I would just sit on the couch all day. I know that I wouldn't put that effort into doing like the workouts and the going for walks and the baking the crazy foods and stuff like it sounds lovely maybe for the first two days I would have done that but otherwise there's no way I would have done all those things
0: oh man the grass is always greener on the other side because eh? I feel like I would go with highs and lows I would be really productive for a week and then just take a week off of like dark depression and then really productive for a week and then <laughs> spiral into drinking <laughs> it would be just ups and downs but <laughs> Anyways, we're here to talk about kids. Sorry, that was a bit of a tangent.
1: No, no Because
0: <laughs> I had run out of ideas of what to do and I want the only time, my kids don't get along as a caveat. Occasionally they do, but they were getting along uh, earlier in the week or last week. I can't remember because all time is blurring together into <laughs> one giant day. They were pushing each other around in, and I'll probably, I'll describe it a little bit better. I know what you know what it is, but mm-hmm. one of those like Flintstone cars, where a kid gets in them and pushes it along with their feet. And Austin was pushing the car from behind, and Aubrey was sitting on top of the car being pushed. And they played like this together, kind of bumping into things, almost like a bumper car for honestly like half an hour. It was amazing. So you would message me saying. It's great that you're engaging in risky play, blah, 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 blah. But I didn't know where that what that word meant. And I want to dig into what it means versus what's too risky, where is that line? What should we be striving for as parents?
1: Of course. So risky play is basically any activity that gives your children that thrill and that excitement, but involves a risk of physical injury. Um, so technically riding your bike is risky play. Um, playing on a play structure is risky play. And I think the word risky kind of just scares parents more than anything, because it, it is just healthy play. Um, it It's just the fact that there is a chance your child could get hurt. We're not talking about necessarily broken bones or things like that, most, most times it's bumps and scrapes. But um, parents do tend to get some anxieties about letting their children do things that they don't think that they should be doing or using things in non-traditional ways. Um, but children instinctively want to take risks and test their abilities and strengths. Um, Just think about when we were kids, like I remember um, you would be climbing a tree and you just want to climb it higher and higher and you don't necessarily realize in that moment that like, if you look down, (laughs) you could fall from a really high height or um, you're riding your bike super fast and in short bursts, you start taking your hands off the handlebars. There is such a thrill in doing these little things that yes, you could fall off your bike, but Um, You're weighing out the pros and cons in your head, even if children don't realize they're doing that, they are able to feel that thrill and then kind of realize what their bodies can do and what the world can do because they are experimenting and problem solving by taking risks.
0: I love that so much. And when you describe some of the examples of risky play, the first Thing I pictured I remembered so well and I'm sure you did the same but I'm sure everyone did the same in the playground when you're on the swing and you're in elementary school and you're just going like kicking as high as you can to go as high as you can and you would jump off or you would run under people or it was such a thrill and it was it's funny that that was the f- crazy thing you do at the time because now kids are just on tablets I'm like oh how high can I swing and they're like how many games can I beat on this random app
1: <laughs> it's so true and Children start pushing themselves to the limits of their capabilities. You know, you want to swing that little bit higher when you start to catch air in the seat and you can feel yeah. your bum coming off the seat and it, you're like, okay, I'm going to jump this time. And you want to keep trying to jump further and further. And it's, it's funny, it becomes almost competition with your friends. Like we were those kids too, who the second the bell would ring, you were the first ones to try to get to the swings at recess. So you could feel, feel those thrills and do those things.
0: Oh, a hundred percent. And you would put a line in the sand to where everybody jumped and you'd see, I'm super competitive. So this was like how I grew up. I'm like, let's compete on the swings.
1: I was the exact (laughs) same way. Oh my goodness. So true.
0: Oh, that's so good. Okay. So risky play essentially is it's just how you described it. It's like um, thrilling, healthy play or healthy behavior anything that involves some sort of thrill that isn't necessarily perfectly safe, right?
1: Exactly, so um, there's there's six types of risky play that usually we'll talk about. Um, so we, we kind of talked about heights, like climbing trees or play structures, things like that, and uh, going at fast speeds, so things like the swings or like a really fast game of tag or um, riding your bike as fast as you can. But then there's also playing with tools. So that could be building a fort with a hammer, um, tools in the kitchen, things like that, where you need to be taught to use the tools properly, um, because you don't want Aubrey running around the house with a pair of scissors. Um, You want to teach her to use them properly. (laughs) And then she is more likely to know when and where to use that tool. Um, of course, things still happen. Kids are still kids, but mm-hmm. um, being able to teach them how to use, you know, child safety knives in the kitchen and not be afraid of them helping you build something or make something and realizing that they have those capabilities and you can test the waters with them on what they're capable of and what their preference is. They might not want to um, cook with you in the kitchen but they might want to, you know, build a birdhouse with you and try to test out hammers and nails and things like that. Um, And then we also talk about playing near elements. So fire and water and playing near cliffs and stuff like this. Of course, this is children of all different ages. I know we're probably going to focus a lot on um, younger children, but technically this goes on for forever like we still look for thrills when we're adults whether you're bungee jumping or skydiving and things like that but um you you also want to think about the older children who will start maybe playing near water or who want to um for the campfire things like that where you use elements in your play as well Um, and then there's play with a chance of getting lost. It it sounds strange that a child would think about playing with getting lost, but it's the idea of um, wandering through the neighborhood with your friends without your parents. Or when I was a kid, I'd ride my bike to my friend's house and if you didn't necessarily know exactly where you were going or something, there is that risk of getting lost or abducted. And that's a really scary idea, especially for parents. And that's one where parents really need to test their boundaries as long as well as their child's and what they're comfortable with. Obviously, that's one that you're probably not going to look at until they're a little bit older. Um, but I remember being a child and hiding in the clothing racks when you go shopping with your parents.
0: Oh, my God. Yes. Done that too. freak my mom out real good.
1: Oh, yeah. And then you're sit- as a parent, you're sitting there like, okay, where is my child? And of course, most parents are going to know if their children are the type to do that. So they'll start looking through the racks and stuff. But um, <laughs> it, it kind of teaches children to gauge distances and recognize and remember landmarks and navigation and stuff like that. And um, the last type of risky play is probably one of the biggest with little kids. And that's uh, rough and tumble play. So it's managing the balance between playful contact and real fighting. So play wrestling and fighting with sticks and things like that. Like You, you realize that a child could go from laughing to crying with something like that. But it's, it's for them to learn what those boundaries are with themselves, with other people, um, possibly with the tools that they're using during that play. So there's, there's a tons of types of risky play and it's all kind of, um, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm losing my word. I
0: mean, the fact that you've conducted so many well-formulated sentences in the scenario (laughs) that we're in with a five month old and two other kids is like the most epic thing (laughs) in the entire world. Because I don't know about you right now, but I'm hanging on by a freaking
1: thread. Children Um, engage in all of this play. Play.
0: You're like, okay, that's the word, play.
1: Play. They engage in all of this play without even thinking about it. It's just what they naturally want to do. And as parents or caregivers or guardians, I'll probably say parents more than anything. um, We need to let our children engage in this play and that's also where it's going to get really hard because some parents it, it's hard for them to let this happen no
0: and I oh sorry cough every time I have a cough now I get all paranoid I'm like no COVID um <laughs> I'm so I am kind of the opposite parent of an alarmist I'm not My husband and I are very polar opposite ends of the extreme. He's sort of like the bubble parent. He would package them up in bubble wrap if he could. I kind of just let Aubrey get pushed around on a car by my two-year-old and see what happens and hope they don't break anything. But how do you take that parent who's more of that cautious um, personality and get them to start experimenting with some more of this thrilling type play?
1: So it's, it's definitely just trying to find that middle ground. Um, children who are overprotected is, is just as scary as a parent who thinks that their child is too timid and is worried that their child isn't engaging a, in risky play and wants to push them into it. In both scenarios, um, they're both going to lead to injuries because you're ignoring your child's capabilities and their preferences. Um, so not every child is going to want to dive headfirst into risky play. Some children are more wants to kind of watch what's happening and kind of dip their toe in it here and there, where others, the second they see a trampoline, they're jumpy as high as they can, they're jumpy <laughs> off of it doing flips. So yeah. you're, you're going to get both ends of the spectrum. And um, as a parent, we need to identify we need to identify what the risks are. And we need to look at uh, the unnecessary risks, as well as ones that the children can um, see themselves in. So we need to think more as as safe as necessary instead of as safe as possible. So we need to assess areas uh, being used for risk. So you wanna make sure that you know what, if, if they're playing on a broken toy, that's kind of an unnecessary risk because they're more likely to hurt themselves. But um, let's say you're playing in a park and you see a thorny bush. It'd be unnecessary for you to say, don't go anywhere near that. It would be more appropriate for you to have your child engage and maybe navigate it and bring your child over and point out what the risk of this is be like look do you see what's on this bush do you see yeah those are thorns what what are thorns Like, they, they can hurt you they are pokey and then giving your child that knowledge and that ability to decide on their own if they're going to try to run through it run around it maybe they'll even try to poke one of the thorns to see what it feels like um yeah <laughs>
0: No, I think that's a really interesting way. So it's almost like a way of thinking of it because it's almost asking yourself, is this necessary or unnecessary in that moment? And I'm trying to think of other examples of what would be necessary versus unnecessary. So if you have any, because I'm thinking even this morning my kids I mean this this didn't bother me at all, but they took the cushions off the couch and were just doing like literal flips off the couch onto the cushions like is that necessary or unnecessary I don't know but they were working their you know big muscles and getting worn out so I don't know
1: they're practicing so much when they're doing that because yes they're doing their gross motor skills they're doing cause and effect like what happens if I jump off of this and do this and they'll they'll test the waters with like oh maybe I'll push it a little further back or what if I jump off the couch in a different way and I, I see that as great. I feel like more unnecessary risks would be um, if you were letting your child on that car like they were the other day, uh, playing, doing that on top of stairs. That would be super unnecessary. The fact that <laughs> that risk of them going down the stairs like that, that just doesn't make sense where the fact that like, yeah, she could fall off, but then she's going to learn Like, oh, I need to hold on tighter. Or maybe if I sit a different way, then this will be better. Or if she finds that that was out of her comfort zone and out of her capabilities, maybe she would wait a little longer to climb back on top. Excuse me.
0: Actually, that's a really good point because she did, I mean, she obviously fell off a few times, but then every time she got up, she got on and I saw her adjust her grip and try different positions. And if that one didn't work and she got. I'm going to go again, let's try it again and try it a new position. So from that, I don't think of things from that perspective because I'm not in education, but now that I think about it, like it's really cool. She learned a lot from it. And then my husband walked down and was like, you guys have to stop. I'm like, no, no, they're fine. They're playing. It's like, I'm working.
1: Just yeah, keep well, going. <laughs> she she was obviously doing it with a purpose. Like there's a reason she wanted to climb on top of there. And you know, she was building confidence and this independence that she could do it herself. You know, like you didn't have to hold her up there to be able to do that. And there was the one clip of the video you saw where her whole, th- at by the end of it, she's like, mommy, I didn't fall down. <laughs> like she was so yeah. excited that she was able to keep herself up there and she was able to problem solve and Build her awareness of what her capabilities are, which is amazing. If that's what you want to see in your play with your children. Oh,
0: I love I love when I talk to ECEs because they always frame things like I'm actually doing something when really I'm like, okay, cool. Just like push each other while I work and ignore <laughs> you.
1: <laughs> well, it's like half it of our way job is observing children. That's what half of our job really is, is just watching what they can do, what they're trying to do. And Some things you need to watch to make sure that they're age and stage appropriate, but for the most part, it's just watching them engage with themselves and with others and with the things that you provide them that are around them and seeing what they're capable of. It's actually really exciting, especially when you watch a child learn a new skill. Like, we don't celebrate as much when they get older, but you know, a child learning to walk, that's risky play, thinking about how many times my child hit their head or slipped and fell when they were learning to walk. But it was a skill that he learned and in that independence with being able to walk. And these are things that continue when they're older. We just don't necessarily celebrate them as much.
0: You made it home from the bar. Good job. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, I'm trying to block that stage of my life out um okay you got a little so, while <laughs> oh, I know I'm like this is not this is not something I just this is future Erica's problem um there's a lot of I mean for the I think for the most part when this episode airs there'll still be a lot of people in self-isolation I don't think this is happening anytime soon which means that there's a lot of parents now who are taking a let's just call it a more enhanced role in their child's development education whatever it might be are what are you from your ece perspective what are your tips for let's say moms with young children we'll aim for under 5 to help in this weird scenario and situation that we're in do you have anything that jumps to mind of how you can help people sort of get through the day with their sanity but while also helping their children as well
1: so i feel like the number one thing is that children instinctively want to take risks Well, if you're watching them play, you'll see them trying to take those risks and you need to start thinking of it as as healthy play because there are just so many benefits from it between balance and coordination and confidence and creativity and problem solving and so many other things um, that you just you need to not let your own fears get in the way. And that is so hard, like I have anxiety. A lot of parents are gonna have anxieties, especially around their children's safety. So you definitely need to make sure to not let your own fears get in the way and to do your best to observe what is working for your child and what's not. And of course you need to be comfortable with it as well. Um, There is something called the 17 second rule that we like to put into place with parents who might have a little bit more anxiety or feel anxious letting their children explore in these ways. So the idea is if a child isn't in imminent danger, that you allow your child 17 seconds. You just step back and give them, it feels like so much time. Sorry, my children just came in from outside (laughs)
0: That is A-OK. You let those kids roll in the background.
1: (laughs) So the 17-second rule is basically that you notice your child is doing something a little risky. You need to take a step back a moment, which is 17 seconds, which feels like a lifetime when you're a little uncomfortable. But to give them that 17 seconds to see how the child's reacting, to get a better sense of what their capabilities are. If your children want to build a fort, just let them do it. If your children want to jump off the couch, like you were saying, if it's not hurting them or hurting the things around them, just let them do it. I feel like sometimes parents want to put too many guidelines and too many rules on it, like you can't mess up this room or that and the other thing. But with being in isolation, I feel like there's certain rules that – need to be a little bit lax. Like normally we don't like to have toys in our front room so much. Like we have so many playrooms in our house. It's the one room that we kind of like to have for us, Mm -hmm. but it makes so much sense to be like, you know what? If I want to watch a show or I need to get some work done or whatnot, let them jump on the couch. If it's not hurting the couch, if they're not breaking things, I don't see a reason why they can't do it. Um, if you have equipment, of course, that is always great to use as well. Um, If you have climbers, or even just chairs, chairs can be something where you know what, you can make it into a tunnel that they can go through. Or I saw one where somebody had their children going down their carpet stairs on a piece of cardboard. (laughs) Ooh,
0: that would be fun my husband would hate that but that would be fun
1: (laughs) yeah like you can teach them the proper way to go down you watch them and observe them make sure they're doing it properly and they're not being overtly silly um and if as long as you obviously like you have carpeted stairs they're not going to come down to the bottom of it and hit a wall or something like that. Those are <laughs> unnecessary risks, of course. And it's like our stairs at home are tile. So that wouldn't work at our house, but there's tons of people who have carpeted stairs where there was one where they had set up cardboard boxes, like large ones, almost like a tube going down their stairs, like a slide. Oh God, almost
0: So much fun. That would like a kid would be living their best life if they had that a hundred percent.
1: Oh yeah. hundred percent. It's like, I always was jealous of the kids who had ball pits and all these type of things growing up, but you could kind of make those things on your own with like, my kids love to put all their stuffies in a pile and act like it's like a pile of leaves and just jump in it <laughs> and think that it's the most fun thing ever and then put them all back together. And you kind of need to remember when children are, you know, jumping off a picnic table in the backyard or something, that's all that we see. But what's going on in their imaginations is probably something so elaborate, like they're probably thinking that they're a superhero who's flying or something along those lines. So there's so much going on in their head that we don't even realize just from an outwardly view that we need to encourage them to keep going and doing these things or not stop them in the middle of their play unless it's necessary.
0: Oh, I love that so, so much. Honestly, this is, I don't know, I, and I think a lot of people who are listening to this, they will feel refreshed because there's so much online right now about pressure to do things in a certain way and have certain schedules and have certain activities. But this has sort of unloaded in that, hey, guess what? Maybe a fort in the living room is actually a pretty perfectly acceptable activity. They're happy. They're playing. They're using their gross motor skills. They're using their imagination. They're engaging in risky play. Perfect. Done.
1: (laughs) Literally less is more half the time. Your kids have two sticks and they're using them as walking sticks. And then they're using them as swords and things like this. That's all they really need. They don't need tons of fancy set up invitations as much as I love them. And they're such a great way to engage with your children they don't need a million toys or a million setups. You don't have to feel like you need to make a new sensory bin every day or that you need to set up their playroom differently every single day. Um, They, they could have a pile of rocks and have the best time, or like I said, two sticks and that's all you need. You don't need to have fancy toys that cost tons of money. You don't need to go out and buy things. You can, Do risky play, which is healthy play with almost anything in your house. Technically, them helping you make supper could be considered uh, risky play or healthy play. And you're teaching them so much, just those real life skills. Like you can have your child go help you take the recycling to the end of the driveway or make supper or do laundry. And to them you can make it into a game and add things like they can sort whose laundry is whose and you know what they could throw it in the basket like a basketball or something like if you needed to make it more engaging. But children will find the fun in most things that you offer them. You don't have yeah, to Yeah, there's put so much more in fun than adults. <laughs> Exactly. You don't have to put so much effort into it.
0: Okay. I have to ask something that's really embarrassing to ask. Well, I mean, what is, (laughs) okay. Invitation to play. I need someone to properly explain it to me because I see it all over the place and I just, I think I have an idea of what it is, but is it, maybe just, can you just explain what it is? I'm not even going to tell you what I think just in case it's wrong.
1: (laughs) So it can be shown in different ways. You could set up a table with, you know, um, puzzle pieces all taken out, technically, that's an invitation. Or a lot of people will talk about, you know, those active world trays, or sensory bins, like those are all invitations. It's just providing loose parts, toys, tools for your child without giving them instructions, pretty much. It's basically just seeing what they do with it. You could just have scissors, glue, and paper on a table, and that's an invitation. Or you could do something super elaborate and just see what they do with it. Um, it's, it's just seeing what interests your child, what stages they're at as far as their interests, as well as they could be working on skills, such as like the cutting the paper and gluing. That's totally a skill that you could have your child work at. But I've seen sensory bins where it's just paper and scissors, and the entire thing is just them being able to cut paper into a million little pieces. Technically, that's an invitation. It doesn't have to be something elaborate, and that's the beauty in it, is you just want to see what your child is interested in.
0: See, I think... (laughs) Okay, that helped that makes me feel a lot better because that's what I thought it was but then there's so many there's so much fancy terminology and jargon that make things seem less attainable than they really are that I think that's the struggle coming for taking a step back and coming from the perspective of a parent who doesn't have an education background that's the that for me has always been, the primary barrier because it's like okay now my kids need to get interested in stem and they need to do uh, have an invitation and they need to do sensory bins and they need to do all these things when really Aubrey sitting beside me while I work cutting up paper and tracing things is technically all of those things it's just a different way of phrasing it I think right
1: a hundred percent and again on Instagram accounts and on Pinterest and on Facebook you're going to see people Showing you invitations, but a lot of the times they're showing you things that are visually pleasing, which half the time invitations are super simple and don't necessarily look Instagram ready. (laughs) It's it's something that you can whip up based off skills you see your child is working on or their interests. It doesn't need to be the new toys and the new um, ways to set things up. It can be on a table. You don't need an active world tray. You could use a train table if you have one. You could put it on the floor. It doesn't need to be this fancy setup with tons of different things. Uh, I think a lot of people will look at posts on Instagram and be like, oh, that's that looks so neat. I think my child would be really into that, but they don't own almost anything in that invitation. And it's kind of looking into the reason for the invitations. Like, are you trying to get them to color match? You can do that with things at home. We did it over um, about St. Patrick's Day because my daughter loves rainbows. Again, very girly girls. So we mm-hmm. had some sensory scarves and we had some construction paper of all the different colors kind of laid out. And she just went around the playroom and found like, Uh, a blue little people toy and put it on the blue square and found a little um, green frog and put it on the green square and kind of did color matching like that. And then it went into a more deep conversation of like, well, can you think of anything blue in nature? Can you think of blue animals? And it kind of developed into its own thing just because she loves rainbows. And I worked off of that. And all I needed was pieces of construction paper.
0: I love that so much. And I also love what you said earlier. I think it kind of just, it slid under the radar, but it's what I've found to be one of the most important things with all of this is that it's about what the child likes and they're interested in because there's so much that people are like, you should do this with your kid. I'm like, okay, cool. But my kid has no interest in what does Aubrey hate? Like I could put crayons in front of her and she'll never touch them in a million years. But if I put a marker and a glue stick in front of her, bam, 45 minutes of creative play so it's not about what you see but about what works for your child and only you know what works best for your child or interesting sorry
1: no that's that's perfect that's exactly it so my my daughter is so funny because she'll go outside and make potions with mud and sticks and everything but she doesn't like slime she doesn't like actually getting her hands messy unless it's like mud so I have so to weird. alter I know. Right. I was like, it's so random. You're not, it's, she's not all in. She's not all out. She kind of tiptoes into getting messy <laughs> or my, my son has everything all over him. He's covered head to toe in water. When you give him like a thimble worth of water or he has chocolate all over his face. And he's like, I ate mud. You're like, yeah, I'm not surprised.
0: they <laughs> are like, cool kid. Thanks. Good. Okay. <laughs> awesome. Oh my God. It's, yeah, no, it's so funny. They're all so different. And I think that's the the important thing that people forget is that there's different interests and it's not, it's not a one size fits all solution for everyone. Like I um, I'm trying to think about Aubrey, like Lego, she loves building things. But if I got, you know, she's never done like a, one of those old puzzles in her life, but now anyways, it's weird. Kids are weird. <laughs> going on a tangent, but, it's, but, but it is what it is.
1: Exactly. And at the same time, Your children are different people, so they're going to be interested in different things, which is a whole other headache at times when you have to come up with different activities that they're either interested in together or multiple activities. Um, And at the same time, they're in different developmental stages. Some children um, learn to write and to cut faster than other children. Some have better fine motor skills and some have better gross big motor skills. So... You need to understand that not every child is going to even use an activity the exact same way either. So, those big block Melissa and Doug puzzles, where Aubrey might not like putting it together, she might use the big block pieces of the dogs and the cats and stuff and use Play Doh to make them little houses or um, use them in different ways other than Mm. maybe the initial use that they were used in, right? Oh my God, that's what they both they
0: both do. Those Melissa and Doug puzzles, I don't think either of them ever actually use them as puzzles. They use them as figurines to like play and talk to each other. It's so random.
1: But it's so good for them because that's how they see that invitation. They see it as like, oh, look, here's a dog that I can, you know, I can pretend to wash him or he got all muddy or... I want to make him things. My daughter loves to hide figurines in Plato and like dig them out like uh, archaeologist style. And that's not how it was necessarily made to be, but that's the beauty in it. And that's the beauty in their imaginations and their curiosity and their resourcefulness. It's awesome.
0: So good. Honestly, thank you so much for for doing this. I really appreciate it. I think right now it's the perfect time to have this conversation. Just given everything that's going on, it's it's a hard time for everyone. And this perspective has been, for me anyways, incredibly helpful. So thank you.
1: Of course. I just think it's important to support your children, support their healthy exploration and their risky play and to just encourage them. And if they invite you to be part of it, join them, you know? These are things that you're going to remember and you want them to remember all the positive times during a time like this. And if you built that fort with them or you built a birdhouse with them or made food with them, these are the things that they're going to remember. They're not going to remember an active world tray. They're not going to remember necessarily that complicated invitation that took you 20 minutes to put together and find pieces all around the house they're gonna remember that time that you're spending with them and that you're encouraging them so try to take that out of this if nothing else is enjoy this time while you have it because we'll probably never get this amount of time with our children again so try to look into the positives of it oh
0: it's so true thank you so much.
1: of course
0: Okay, guys, so that was Jen. Um, I'm going to put her Instagram handle in the link below. It's at those.lil.rascals. You can go check her out there. She's posting a bunch of the activities she's doing with her adorable kiddos. And don't forget to go check out the digital house. It's at digital.mumbreak.ca. One of the things that I think you guys would find useful is my Reconnect in 30 program. If you haven't checked it out or if you haven't heard me talking about it, it's basically just digital love prompts for you and your partner. It's just essentially a really easy way to connect and reconnect after having kids because I don't know about you guys, but for a long time, I felt like a co-parenting roommate. Yes, a roommate, co-parenting roommate. Yes, that's what I wanted to say with my partner because we spent so long just in survival mode focusing on the kids so this was a really easy way to kickstart things back into hey yes we are a married couple it's at reconnectin3030.com and it's also at the digital.mumbreak.ca. i hope you guys have a fantastic day everybody is
1: staying safe bye